0: I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. Uh, chapter 20 is where we'll be walking through this morning as we glance at uh, chapters 20 and 21 together. We continue our series walking through the book of Genesis as a people of God. Now, what we're seeing in Genesis is that the hope of the nations, the hope of the nations is to unite themselves to the prophet of God. And apart from that, there is no hope of salvation. Abraham, his name means the father of nations. He is given to the world for the life of the world as a prophet of God. We see that this morning. Nations must approach God through his seed or offspring, God's chosen prophet. As promised in Genesis chapter 12, this is to Abraham, God said, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram's life and his progeny are to be a blessing for all the nations. The blessing and the curse of God is to flow to the nations through his prophet, the seed. And their relationship to that seed or that prophet forever. Now this covenant promise is the overarching story of Abraham's life. What was encapsulated in chapter 12 is filled out through the rest of Abraham's life. And in fact, it's, it's really the story of all of Scripture. God blessing the nations through his prophets. So we turn to Genesis 20, and what we'll see here is there's the wisdom of Abraham, the wisdom of God's servant, who is called to live amongst the nations. Called to live amongst the nations who are at odds with God and his way. This is God's servant living there apprehending God's promise, his blessing for his people and for the world. So this morning, we're going to walk with Abraham another step on his journey and see how God is unfolding these promises to bless the nations through him. To that end, would you join me with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us yourself through Jesus Christ, who is the word of life, who is the light of the world. I pray now that you would draw near to us and speak to us through your word. Give us open ears and soft hearts that we might be conformed to the image of your dear son, our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Big picture. Why are we reading the life of Abraham? What are we doing? I think uh, the life of Abraham nurtures within believers a grace-saturated sense of assurance that God will never leave us nor forsake us a sense of assurance in the life of those who follow Jesus Christ. At least I think that's how we might try to read the life of Abraham, how how we might try to read this portion of Scripture in particular. As people following Jesus, we draw from it an assurance that God is with us and he will never leave us nor forsake us. When you look at Abraham's life, you can try to explain it many ways. But we must see this is the fingerprint of God at every turn. God will preserve his people. God will preserve his way of salvation through the offspring of Eve, through the seed that comes from her. And God will then bless the nations through that offspring or through that seed, fully in his one and only son, who is Jesus Christ. Abraham's life, of course, points us to Jesus Christ. And we'll see that even here in Genesis 20 and bits of 21. So far in Genesis, by way of review, what we've seen at this point is that, that God is fulfilling his covenant promises uh, to Abraham. Name meant, Abram meant father or exalted father, and now Abraham means father of nations. But how is this father of nations to father of nations when he has no son? We see this promise is going to be fulfilled, not through Ishmael, but his yet-to-be-born son, Isaac. Around them in this land, there's nations like Sodom and Gomorrah who go their own way and they reject God's prophet and they are cursed. God's wrath is poured out upon them. Now, following the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham travels. He heads south and he heads south towards Egypt, a tyrant in the vein of Pharaoh, the Pharaoh from Genesis 12. We've got another tyrant, but his name is Abimelech, Chapter 20, verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. He journeyed, or he sojourned in Gerar. Now, before we examine the first 18 chapters or so of chapter 20, let's look at chapters 20 and 21 as one story. Okay, we're not going to walk through each verse here, but chapters 20 and 21 are one story. Our portion, chapters 20 verses 1 through 18, a tyrant is thwarted, Abraham is blessed. That's the heading. That's what happens here. A tyrant is thwarted, and Abraham is blessed. There's wisdom in how to live in a fallen world. Chapter 21 verses 1 through 7, then we see Isaac is born. This promised offspring of Eve is miraculously preserved. We see God's grace in the midst of conflict. And then the next verses, 8 through 21 of chapter 21, his other son Ishmael is not just discarded, but he's protected. And he's grown into nations who are blessed by God. We see his grace poured out amongst the nations. In the last section of chapter 21, we see that the nations then come to God's prophet and they covenant with God and with his people. We have assurance that God's way of salvation will be victorious. Now, big picture, we have Abraham's life. Abraham's life is of patient faith it's an answer remember to Adam's sin who grasped after glory not yet to be had but, but in, in response to Adam's sin of grasping we have Abraham who comes up with an open hand just waiting patiently to receive believing that God will fulfill all his word and all of his promises Abraham's life then anticipates Israel's life as they reject the faith in which he walked so they will undergo his God's curse and his wrath Abraham has gone wherever God called him to. He's obeyed his commands to circumcise and, and as a sign of covenant faithfulness or fidelity. Abraham is still threatened even in the midst of his faithfulness. And that's how life is. That's how life is. Maybe we've sought to live the right way. Maybe we've been seeking God's face. Maybe we've done our homework. Maybe we brush our teeth twice a day and even floss. And yet, failure, sorrow, and pain continue to stain our lives and those around us. Yet, Abraham continued to walk with God. He responded faithful, obedience. He spoke his word as God's prophet. And so, when Abraham endures Difficulty, Of course, he would be grieved. Of course, there would be sorrow. And we do well to grieve when tragedy strikes in our fallen world. And yet, he continues to walk with palms up, waiting to receive from God. Chapters 20 and 21 is bookended uh, with Abraham journeying with Abimelech. So we see that at the beginning of chapter 20, at the end of 21, we've got the story of Abimelech. In between, we've got Isaac and Ishmael. And God's working out his promises, his covenant, through Isaac. Abimelech, his, mean, his name means, my father is king. Immediately from chapter 20, there's conflict with Abimelech and, and the nations around. But right after that, we're given the story of Isaac being born. Abraham, the father of nations, is finally given a son in his old age. That uh, Sarah, whose, whose womb was barren, is, is now given life. Abraham, the father of nations, is given a son. And the glimmer of hope begins to burn bright. Isaac, his name means something like laughter. And it's a reminder that when God told Sarah that Isaac would be, a son would be given, and she said, in my old age, she she laughed, perhaps a, a laugh of unbelief and perhaps a hint of mockery. Who could do such a thing? It's a reminder every time she calls out her son Isaac, she laughed. But it's also a, it's a reminder of the, the laughter of, of, of full joy because the seed has been protected. The offspring of Eve is come and Isaac is born well, God provides not only for his people, but for those outside the seed line. The nations uh, like Ishmael and those nations that flow from his loins will also be blessed through him. Because what we saw, we would see is Ishmael is like those at Babel. He's, he's scattered and nations form from him. God is establishing grace even upon, amongst the nations. And in the final breaths of chapter 21, what we would see is that Abimelech and his people submit to God's way. They become obedient to God's way. He, Abimelech, approaches Abraham, blesses Abraham, and invites Abraham to pray for him, and God heals the nations. Isn't that the end of our scriptures? The healing of the nations will come through God's prophet. An image that Isaiah captures is of the wolf and the lamb grazing together, lying down together. That's what we have here, where the nations with God's people will lie down together and graze upon the goodness and the gifts of God, where there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. But chapter 20 reminds us that day is not yet fully here. God provides salvation to the offspring and the seed of Eve, through whom the blessing and the curses of God will come, depending on if the nations cling to or reject God's prophet. This is the gospel story filled out in Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ is God's prophet, God's son, who is the offspring of Eve, given for the blessing of the nations to all who embrace him. But the curse or the wrath of God is given to those who reject him. Okay, that's a big picture, all right? I just wanted to catch us up a little bit on where we're at in Genesis to get the full-orbed picture of Abraham's life so that now as we slot ourselves into chapter 20, it makes maybe a little more sense, hopefully. Chapter 20, like Abraham, we find ourselves amongst a people of unclean lips, amongst a people of unclean hearts and motives. We walk like Abraham amongst a people who do not fear God. Look at chapter 20, verse 2. Abram said to Sarah, his wife, "She is my." And Abram said of Sarah, his wife, "She is my sister." And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, "Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife." Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, "Lord, will you kill an innocent?" Now, I don't remember a lot of my dreams, but I have a feeling I would remember this one. You're a dead man, okay? That grabs your attention. What have I done that I'm a dead man? It's a story told once again, as it had been told earlier, as it will be told time and again. The bride of God is threatened in a land promised to them, the promise of God's blessing. As with Pharaoh in Egypt, who took the bride... So now Abimelech will take the bride and threaten the bride. So with Herod, Mary and Jesus were threatened. So with the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the church, the bride of Christ will be threatened. Peter, James, John, the Apostle Paul. This is the story of the the bride of God being threatened by tyrants. And righteous wisdom of God's people demands the deception of ungodly so Abram, again, employs a familiar strategy by now. He introduces his wife as his sister. Now, deception or not, God is rendering judgment upon Abimelech and his people according to his will. See, there is a protocol for attaining a wife of a sojourner like Abram. Abimelech is doing away with those things, and he chooses instead to simply Grasp, to grasp after and to take for himself the bride of God's prophet. Again, verse 4, Abimelech had not approached her, so he says, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Verse 5, did he not say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands? I have done this. Then, verse 6, God said to him in a dream, in the dream, yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. When I read that, did you feel sympathetic towards Abimelech? We do, don't we? And yet, he's pleading his innocence in the same way that a child with chocolate on his chin denies stealing cookies. Did you grasp after that cookie? No. (laughs) No. It's a similar thing here. God is holding Abimelech, my father, as king. He's holding him accountable. What is more, in God's grace, he's restraining Abimelech from worse sin. That's what God says in the dream. It is I who withheld you from further sin. Now, it's difficult to believe that God restrains man from worse sin as we look about our world. Isn't it hard to believe that there's restraining going on, that a world where sex trafficking is destroying millions of lives, where bombs are dropped to kill thousands instantly, where neglect and abuse throughout our country, throughout the world, is carried out in the name of God. Yet, we see God restraining evil. What is his most wrathful judgment, as Romans 1 tells us, but to simply let man go their own way, as we saw in Sodom and Gomorrah, as we saw before the flood, God is yet restraining evil. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah. After God's prophet reasoned with God, wrath was poured out. What if there's 50? What if there's 30, 15, 10, 5? What if? And in short, there is none righteous. There's not one who understands for all sin and falls short of the glory of God. God. Is Abimelech an innocent man as he so claims to be? Well, he is not. He is fully deserving of God's wrath. And yet God sends his prophet into the midst of Abimelech's life, and it totally turns his world upside down. When, when a prophet enters your life, the life of the people here, their lives are turned upside down. Should Life would be granted should Abimelech repent and take hold Of God's prophet. So verse 7 we see. Now then return. This is God's talking to him here. Return the man's wife. For he is a prophet. So that he will pray for you. And that you shall live. If you do not return her. Know that you shall surely die. And all who are yours. This is the first time that Abram is given the title prophet. And this is where the theme throughout the rest of scripture comes in. Salvation comes through the uniting of oneself to God's word. His prophet. The prophet is one who sits in God's counsel, to whom God speaks with, to whom God responds. God commands a right course of action for Abimelech, but that's not enough. He is to bend the ear also of God's prophet and ask that this God's prophet would then pray for or bend the ear of God. See, Adam was God's failed prophet Noah was God's ignored prophet. But here we have Abraham shown forth, held out to us as God's faithful prophet. Salvation for the nations rests in their abiding with and in God's faithful prophet. I am the vine and you are the branches. But here, rather than abide in the prophet, Abimelech takes a different tact. One that's very familiar to us through the life of Adam. He doesn't humble himself and repent immediately immediately. Rather, he points the finger and blames. Verse 9, but Sarah saw the, oops, sorry, verse 9 of chapter 20. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? You did you did this, all of my problems, it's your fault. The woman who you put here, she made me eat of the fruit. Abimelech is echoing Adam's tyrannical sins here of grasping after forbidden fruit and then shifting the blame to others and to God himself. And just as Abraham suspected, this is exactly what would happen, that, uh, that Abimelech would not humble himself. He says in verse 11, when asked why did he do these things, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Now we give clarity on Abraham's deception here. It's not a a lie per se. It's just not the whole truth. She really is his sister. And she's married to him and is his wife as well. So we have a fuller story, a more complete story here. The key here, though, is that Abraham is claiming a fear of the people that he's going to, and that fear is that they don't fear God. They will not walk in his ways, and that will be a threat to God's covenant and God's covenant promises to Abraham and to the world. But what happens when God's prophet shows up? Look at verse 8. Abimelech arose... In the morning, this is after the dream, and called all the servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Abraham is is, is fearful that there is no fear of the Lord amongst his people. Until what? Until God shows up in a dream, and God's prophet is near, and then there is fear amongst the people who did not fear God. The fear of the Lord accompanies God's word or God's prophet, and this is the crux of gospel. Transformation. See, the good news is spoken. And by God's Spirit, the seed of that word sends forth penetrating roots for the conviction of sin. And then hearts are softened as the fear of the Lord begins to shoot forth and sprouts fruit of faithful obedience. But it cannot be the other way around. There must be a transformation of heart. So we see in verse 14, Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants, female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. There is a transformation in Abimelech's life, a transformation that brings about an outward change. There's grace leading to faith for a humble obedience. Abimelech obeys the Lord's command, and he gives the wife back to Abraham, seeks the prayers of God's prophet. And he seeks to right a wrong. Abraham had journeyed near Egypt once again. He was nearly enslaved, but is now free to dwell in the land. And he receives once again the best that that land has to offer. As it was earlier for Abraham with Pharaoh, so it was later with Joseph and family. Then, of course, with Israel and even Isaiah. Whenever they go into captivity or bondage, God frees them. And those who held them in slavery then bless them, give them of their own goods. All the whole time God is protecting the offspring of Eve who was blessed by the nations in order to become a blessing to the nations. Look at verse 17. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and the female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. The covenant promise to Abraham was, again, whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Abimelech and family were cursed in their cursed sin against God's prophet. But then Abimelech was blessed by God's merciful care and his gracious forgiveness. Abimelech turns to bless God's prophet Abraham. And so Abimelech's story is woven into the story of Abraham and Sarah. Did you catch that at the end? What's Abraham's and Sarah's story? Wasn't it that they were barren? Without child? No hope for a future? And that's under the curse. Abimelech and family share in that same trouble. Now God will miraculously open wombs once again. At the end of this Chapter We see that the life of Abimelech is now woven intimately, integrally into the life of Abraham and the covenant promises. And see, I think this is the value of reading Abraham's life and why we soak in his life for weeks on end here. The hope of coming to church on a regular basis is the hope or the desire of the people is to inhabit the life of God's prophet, to inhabit the life and story of God's. Prophet. Here we see it in the life of Abraham and his story. The only hope for Abimelech in this situation was to inhabit the life of Abraham. To come to God's prophet and to have the prophet pray for him. Who else would intercede on his behalf? Now, of course, Abraham is the father of nations. Didn't we sing that as children in church? You're going to have a song stuck in your head, Father Abraham, have many sons. You're marching, right? And this is true. This is his life. This is his story. He is the father of nations through whom the entire world, all of the nations are being blessed. All of the nations will be blessed. But Abraham was never the point of the story, was never the fullness of that story. That is Jesus Christ. He is the consolation of the nations. He is the savior of the nations. See, Jesus Christ is God's only son. He is the very word of God. He is God's final and eternal prophet. And the only hope for God's people, the only hope for the nations, is that we would hide ourselves in God's prophet. where we begin to inhabit his story, where his death becomes our death, where his life becomes our life. See, our confidence in Christ is infinitely more sure than Abimelech's confidence in Abraham. And that was very confident, wasn't he? God said, pray. Call to Abraham and he will pray for you. And so Abimelech does this. But see, what we have of the true and final prophet, Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us that as he rises from the dead, as he ascends to the right hand of God, the Father, that Hebrews tells us what? That he lives now too intercede we have an audience with our triune God through the word who is Jesus Christ and this story it's good news for us who know it for we who come and gather to hear it to inhabit it but it's also the good news for every nation every tribe, every people, every tongue even the enemies of God this is the good news for them Because, you see, the final verses of chapter 21, they tell us that the conflict between Abraham and Abimelech was not over. But by the end of that chapter, what we have is that Abimelech covenants with Abraham. And they dwell together, the lion and the lamb, in peace in the midst of the land. And then Abimelech departs to the land of Philistia. Does that name ring a bell? the sworn enemies of God's people throughout the Old Testament, the descendants of Egypt. This man who is converted to walk with Yahweh goes to the land of God's enemies. And the descendants of Egypt, perpetual enemy of God's people, they serve God for a season. And yet in other generations we see they will turn. They will reject God's prophets. They will persecute God's bride and God's wrath will be poured out on them. And so it is throughout history, the bride of God, the bride of Christ, we the church, we too dwell amongst a people who are at war with God, who reject God's prophet, who persecute God's church, God's bride. But as it was in the day of Abraham, so it is in our day, and so it will be until Christ's return and his final victory, that nations will seek God's prophet to pray for them. We are called to pray for them and they will call upon the Lord and he will pray for them. That's what scripture tells us. At the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is true. In all of the confusion of our current Babel society in the grasping greed of our Egypt culture, in the overwhelming current of people calling evil good and good evil, ever pointing the finger of blame at God's righteous people, our prophet Jesus Christ lives to intercede on our behalf. We inhabit the life and story of Abraham, for in it we are assured graciously, effectively, humbly confident. We are assured that our refuge and our strength is in God's prophet, who is Jesus Christ. He is the true and the final prophet. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. For we have been bought with a price, and we belong to him. And that is the hope of the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us Jesus Christ, your Son, the offspring of Abraham, the father of nations. I pray your blessing upon us now as we prepare to feast at your table and to depart in your grace. Lead us and guide us, strengthen us, that we might serve you gladly all of our days. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.